Today we're concluding our exploration of this great book by Marianne Williamson called The Gift of Change. And to catch you up on, I guess, about six weeks worth of, of information here, her, her thesis statement, if you will, is that there are two ways of approaching change. One is changes happen to us. You know, they come at us pell-mell and we're just kind of deer-in-the-headlight reaction to them. Whether we've lost a job, whether, you know, we're having a difficult relationship, whatever it might be, we're kind of at the mercy of it, if you will. That's one way to address change. What Marianne Williamson says, and I certainly subscribe to, is that there's another way. Is that we have the co-creative power us and God, that co-creative power, to actually orchestrate, if you will, to lead us in. And and even in a gentle, in an easy, in a graceful way, we can usher in, actually be the changes that we want to see in our own lives. Okay, that's what we've covered over the last six weeks. Today it's kind of interesting. Marianne Williamson, at the end of the book, kind of steps up and back from her own work a little bit and poses the question, you know, we've been kind of doing change by change, but I want to suggest to you, and here's her suggestion, if we look at our entire lives, is it not simply a sequence of changes? If you think of your entire life, right, what is it if it's not incremental changes? Sometimes dramatic, sometimes so simple you barely know they've happened. In fact, I know the other day I looked in the mirror and I went, wow, when did I get to be (laughs) middle-aged? You know what I mean? It's like, now that one, you know, it's been building up over some time. But there comes a time when you just kind of go, wow. And yet, and yet, it, it didn't happen overnight, right? I didn't gain the 20 pounds overnight. <laughs> I swear I didn't. <laughs> Some days it seems like it. And so what is life if it isn't a gradual adding up of little changes along the way? Which uh, reminds me of our joke for today. Okay. <laughs> so our, our, my annual physical. Recently I went to the doctor for my annual physical. The nurse asked me how much I weighed. I told her 180 pounds. She weighed me, and it was 210. She asked me how tall I was. I said six feet one inch. She measured me, and I was five foot 11. (laughs) Then she took my blood pressure and told me it was very high. Of course it's high, I said. When I came in here, I was tall, and I was slender. (laughs) And, and, And I think, I think... That unless we do participate in the organization, in the changes that happen in our own life, that is what can happen. We can get to the point where we don't even know who we are. Those cumulative changes that come at us like 800 miles an hour from all these perceived external sources, if that's the way we're looking at life, if life is kind of happening to us, then before long, we don't even know who we really are anymore, right? We're so at a distance from what's going on around us. We're so at the effect of other people, places, and things. And when, when, the, when S happens, as the bumper sticker says, we don't have that place of solidity in our own heart, that own sense of who I am with confidence and love and purpose, so that it becomes easy for us to absolutely be derailed. Just like I looked in the mirror and said, who's this middle-aged guy, right? Okay, 
So today we're going to talk about change, not just one by one, but actually as a process building up over time. And uh, here's how Marianne Williams talks about this. She says, perhaps you were one thing and now you're another thing. Perhaps you were in high school and now you're entering college. Perhaps you were single and now you're getting married. Maybe you were married and now you're single. Perhaps you were childless and now you're a parent. Perhaps you had a child at home and you no longer do. Whatever door you've walked through, your life won't quite be the same as it was before. When one stage of life gives way to another, it's the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. How we navigate such transitions spiritually will determine the joy or the despair that comes next. In navigating any change, we may be tempted towards either of two extremes, resisting the change on one hand or being reckless towards it on the other. And I'm going to talk about those two extremes here in a minute. But I want us to get grounded right now in today. And I, and I want, to, um, want to, if you will, embark with me on a little journey. If, you, if you're willing, close your eyes for a minute. And I want to ask you a question that maybe we hear every day. And the question is, and you start thinking of the answer, who are you? Just take a breath. Who are you? Now what comes to mind, first of all, might be your name. You know, I'm Larry. You're whoever you are. But what comes after that? Keep thinking. Is it your roles? Does it your role as a mother or a, a business person, a father, a student, a teacher? Is it your role at work as maybe an architect or an artist or an engineer? What roles come to mind when someone asks you the question, who are you? Is it your accomplishments? A lot of times we think about our accomplishments. Maybe you were the first woman in your division to win a, a competition of some kind. Or, or maybe you're the highest in sales in your particular profession in your city. Maybe you had a 4.0 GPA in high school or college. Maybe it's some unique treasure that you bring to the world that no one else does. It might be your accomplishments when someone asks you, who are you? You might say, I am, and then accomplishments. It also might be your status, and we have lots of them. When someone says, who are you, you might think of, well, I'm single, or I'm married, I'm unemployed, or I'm retired. You might think I'm a man, or I'm a woman. It might have to do with your status. So I'm going to give you just, just a few more seconds to think about how you answer that question, who am I? All right, you can open your eyes again. Um, now, you would think this is a lovely little exercise, and then Larry will congratulate us and we'll move on. And instead, I'm going to throw darts at it here. So, <laughs> so feel free if you want to see me afterwards and say, thanks a lot. It was a lovely little meditation. But, uh, but what I want you to do is to think about how we define those I am statements sometimes can keep us in a box. And sometimes it's the box we want to be in, but I would suggest to you, any kind of box you're in has four sides, well, what, six, I guess the box has six sides, and it may end up limiting the joy you want to feel, the openness you want to feel, the abundance you want to feel, the love, whatever it might be that you want to experience in your life. 
If we go by these preset definitions, if we go by these definitions of ourselves as we are on the outside, it may end up being limited. And and I want to take maybe three categories of how we define ourselves really briefly and, and talk about them. So first of all, often we focus on our roles, right? That's often where people go. They'll say, my name is Larry King, and I'm a minister at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, right? Or um, uh, my name is, you know, Allison, and I'm a mother of three, right? It's the, it's the kind of role thing. That's where people often go first. I got to tell you, though, roles are one of the smallest boxes you can put yourself in. And they tend to be defined by other people, right? We're not the ones that invented the, I mean, us as individuals, are not the ones that invented words like mother or pastor or um, you know engineer or whatever. And there's a whole lot of baggage that goes with those words, right? You think of yourself as a good mom, but it, as soon as you say mother, the other person has their own idea of mother, right? As soon as I say minister, the other person has their own idea of what ministers were when they were growing up or their experience of ministers. When you say uh, an engineer, immediately my mind thinks, oh, they're going to push their black glasses up on their nose with a piece of tape, right? We all have ideas. <laughs> of what, oh, I know, and I'm going to hear from an engineer later. But what I'm saying is we're all kind of have little blinders on around what these roles and responsibilities are. Or I'll get Linda. And when we say musician, we think a certain idea of, right? All of these ideas, first of all, they're totally made up. They're totally made up because, of course, people made them up. Right? There isn't an exact definition of what a mother is or what an engineer is or what a father is or what a teacher is. And so when we self-identify with one of those roles, we've done a very interesting thing. We've put ourselves in this little box that's really easily interpreted by other people in ways that we may or may not like. Okay, second thing that we tend to do when we uh, self-identify ourselves, when we answer the question, who am I, is we often will come up with kind of like accomplishments, right? Um, you know, I'm the first in my family to graduate from high school or college, I've heard. I've heard people say, you know, after they've done their name and after they've done where they work, they'll say, oh, and I'm on the, you know, the Oregon gymnastics team and we came in second last year. Or, um, you know, I, I help out at the Oregon Food Bank and, and we got more canned goods in this last summer than we ever have before. Do you know something that sticks in their mind as a real unique and wonderful accomplishment that they've done? Now you might think, well, Larry, what could possibly be wrong with this? And what's he going to find that is? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we self-identify with accomplishments, it makes it very natural for us to self-identify with failures, right? When we pin our identity on something that happened kind of outside of ourselves, there are lots of things going on outside of ourselves that aren't to our liking too. And so then when we do have a little misstep, when something doesn't go well in our life, if we go from one quarter where we had the highest sales in our division to one quarter where we were in the middle or even lower than that, suddenly... Suddenly our identity has been kind of pulled out from underneath us. And it's like, well, who am I again? The third one that we talked about a little bit is simply your status. And this one is maybe the most dangerous of all, because unless you want to keep that same status for the rest of your life, 
right? They're like mini affirmations. Oh yes, I'm single. Oh yes, I'm retired. Oh yes, I'm, you know, a man. Oh yes, I'm whatever. And what we know for sure is that we're a variety of things. To put our entire status to say, I am a thing that's like a light switch, you know, I'm single, I'm married, I'm, I'm uh, retired, I'm working, I'm unemployed, I'm looking for, do you see what I mean? That, and, and there's nothing wrong with it in terms of being factual, of course. It's only natural to want to be factual and, and explain to people where we are. And yet there's a subtle danger just around the wording here. Anytime we say, I am whatever, you have done one of the most powerful prayers on the planet. And God, however you look at God, whether you look at God simply as cause and effect or whether you think of God as kind of a benevolent force, what I know about God is God will do just about anything to make what it is you've claimed for yourself be true. So if you go around saying, I'm single, it's like God says, and so it is, <laughs> right? If you go around saying, I'm unemployed, God says, mm, yay, verily it is. <laughs> so let us be very cautious about those I am statements. If there's something that you really embrace, that you really want to be true for you from now and you know, ongoing, then have at it. But if it's something that's really kind of a temporary status, maybe you want to modify that a little bit and just not say, oh yes, I'm Larry and I'm unemployed. Gosh, it sounds like a 12-step program almost. <laughs> but, uh, but, the, but the idea is really have it, because we're not one thing, right? Uh, let me ask you this question. Are we ever finished? No, we're not ever, even, even as we make our transition into whatever comes next, right? Even after this body dies and we move on to whatever's next, we're not finished. And so let us be cautious about our I am statements to not imply, this is me now and forever. And that is where the source of this last chapter is. Because Marianne Williams says, as she steps up and looks at life as a series of changes, she says this series, this evolution, also we can approach two ways. Again, life can be coming at us at 300 miles an hour, and we're at the effect of it. And you've all seen people like that that just look beaten down by life. And if you ask them, well, what's wrong? They'll say, you know, nothing I can really put my finger on. It's just been one thing after another, right? Haven't you heard that phrase? It's just been one thing after. Well, that is letting life happen to you. That is having you at the effect of other people's changes. Marianne Williamson suggests that this too, in the long run, that even our evolution, not just little change by little change, but the sum of all of those changes likewise can be to our design. Not only just a specific outcome for a specific change we want to make, but actually the evolution of our entire life, at least the, the temper of it, at least the thrust of it, at least the, the, the main idea of it, can likewise be orchestrated by our own selves. And she calls it focusing not on who we are, but focusing on who we are becoming. Now the idea of who we're becoming is interesting because for me, it clearly means that we have our foot in today, right? I'm not dreaming out some into some far-flung future. 
But it also encompasses the idea that, that there's a trend here. I'm right where I am, and I'm making a trend. I'm taking some steps in a direction to my choosing. So where I'm becoming, right, is a little different than who I am. Instead of saying I'm an artist, a becoming statement might be, I'm becoming more creative every day. Instead of an I am statement, like I am a minister, a becoming statement might be more like, every day I'm a little closer to God. Every day I'm understanding more about my own spirituality. Every day I'm teaching other people the power that's within them and their own ability to make changes in their lives. Those are becoming statements instead of I am statements. And what's fascinating to me, of course, if any of you have taken foundations, and if you haven't, I encourage you to take the class. I'll be teaching it in a few weeks. In foundations class, we learn to make up very effective affirmations. And now here Larry is saying, well, these I am statements are, are dangerous. And i got to tell you, affirmations are great. If you're having trouble paying your bills on a consistent basis, an affirmation of I always have enough money to pay all my bills, uh, even before they're due, is a great affirmation and yet and yet even think about that that's a very powerful affirmation but might you want more than just the ability to just pay your bills off do you see what i mean so often where we naturally go is to overcome some obstacle in our life so very often we're focused just on that very next step that very, you know, I want to get rid of the pain, as they say. And to do that, all I would need would be enough money just to be able to pay my bills every month or to, to, to be happier in my relationship if only we didn't argue so much or, or to be happy at work if only I had enough time at work, enough peace and time to actually get my job done instead of answering the phone all day, right? We go to that place of eliminating the pain and instead we miss the fact that we're in this for the long haul, as they say. We are infinite beings, and we have the ability to be here in a conscious way for that infinity. We can orchestrate not just the little changes, not just the day in and day out, but through this idea of who we're becoming, we can set this trend in motion. We can end up being in that place of love beyond love as we understand it today. We can become that, that abundance that we want to see well beyond just the ability to pay our immediate bills or, or, or maybe finance a loved one into college or something like that. When we're in the process of becoming, rather than being stuck where we are, we can orchestrate our lives in a most fundamental and profound way. So indulge me again. Close your eyes for a moment. And now I'd like to ask you, who are you becoming? And this time around, think about those qualities of God that propel us forward into a greater experience of life. Maybe you're going to becoming more loving every day. Maybe you're becoming more able to be a change master of your own life. Maybe you're becoming more peaceful. Maybe you're becoming easier and easier in your interactions at work. 
Maybe you're becoming a, a joyous grandmother or maybe you're becoming a compelling example of integrity in all that you do and all that you say. What are you becoming beyond roles, beyond definitions? Who are you becoming? All right, you can open your eyes. So in that last quote that I read you, notice how she ended it. She ended it by saying, how we navigate such transitions spiritually will determine the joy or despair that comes next. In navigating any change, we may be tempted towards either of two extremes, resisting the change on the one hand or being reckless towards it on the other. Okay, well, in the annual meeting that's coming up in like, I don't know, an hour, 45 minutes or something, uh, I'll use it as an example. One of the things we're going to be reporting is we had a 30% average increase of attendance this year over last year. 30%. Now, is that, I mean, is that cool or what? All right, this is a huge change. A huge change, right? It's harder to park now. All, I mean, <laughs> yeah, oh, believe me, I get here early, but I know, I know. All right, now, how might we handle a change like this, right? On the one hand, she says, we might resist it. So one way of resisting it is, I liked it when it was smaller. I'm going to do and I'm going to be all of the, I liked it when I knew every single person in the sanctuary and I don't anymore. Right? These would be ways of resisting change. Okay? By trying to keep ourselves, because of course it isn't about the congregation. I mean, literally the number of people who come here is going to be determined by the number of people who come here. Really what we're resisting when we're in resistance, it's really our own reactions. It's really our own feeling. So there are many ways we could be in resistance to a change like that. Okay, now what's the opposite then? The opposite is being reckless towards it, on the other hand. Well, the version of that in terms of the church would be, okay, so we're going to increase another 30% this year. I better put the building on the market, right? It would be assuming some, some you know, dramatic propulsion forward without any idea of how you're getting there, without any real concept of what's involved in the change other than maybe what's really on the obvious side. So what Marianne Williams is sa says is that our orchestrations of change need to be somewhere in the middle. We can neither resist changes, even the ones we're organizing ourselves, right? Because what she said was, when you make a change, you make it first inside and then stuff happens outside. Sometimes in our own lives, our own changes will bring up stuff for us. We can't resist them. To resist them limits our growth. To resist them stops the change. To resist them freezes our own ability to grow and change and become more of who we are. But likewise, we can't rush into them recklessly. We can't say, you know, this change, you know, wow, I got a new job, I'll go out and buy a house. Right? Because your mind can spin ahead and go, okay, and, and so I got the new job, and in three months I'll get a promotion, and then there are bonuses, I'm sure, at the end of the year, right? And you can come up with this whole yarn of how getting this basic job means I should go buy a house. So neither resistance nor recklessness. This is the nature of change as we organize them one by one. We also have to follow through then 
with being the stewards of those changes, if you will, in our own life. So it isn't just making the changes on the inside, then it's being a steward of the changes as they begin outpicturing on the outside. So if it's a good change, Marianne Williamson says, if it's a good change, here's how you handle it. First of all, you breathe. She said, any change that comes your way is initially going to make you do an in-breath, even if it's a good change, because it's something different. It's going to be a... (gasps) Even if it's a good change, she says, it's natural to literally forget to breathe, to, to end up feeling tense, to end up feeling uneasy, even if it's a change we've been begging for and wanting and working towards for years, because it's simply different. Because it's simply different. So she says to breathe into it. Just like you were taking it maybe a yoga class when, and they tell you to get into some convoluted pose. But what they tell you is to breathe into it. And what you're doing with each breath is allowing your body to naturally and gently and painlessly begin moving towards that ideal position. That's what yoga is about. And that is what making changes in our life is about. It's about easing into them in ways that can be painless and joyous. A stretch, yes, like yoga, but not something that has to be endured, something that can be gentle and easy. The next thing Marianne Williams says to do is to believe it. She said, there is nothing that will halt your progress. There is nothing that will stop your spiral of transformation than your own disbelief of your good fortune, (laughs) because it's not really good fortune. You, as a co-creator, have absolutely participated in organizing whatever marvelous change has come your way. And if you look at it as though it were a strange gift, right? It's like, uh uh-oh, something good really happened. And whenever something really good happens, right? Don't a lot of times we go there, then like, what's the bad thing that'll happen? Or the good thing will dry up. You know, we need to embrace the good thing. We need to accept our own power in that co-creative process. So when something good happens to you, say, all right, I did a great job. Even if it seems something totally fortuitous, even if it seems literally like a gift from God, I put to you, every gift from God was co-creatively made, and you have a 50% ownership of anything good that happens to you because it was your own creative thoughts it was your own creative ideas it was your own passion that created whatever it is so when something good happens congratulate yourself right it wasn't luck it wasn't you know the wages of fortune or what i don't know what fancy words there are it was you it was you and god And that's how you can ease into it. That's how you can own it. That's how you can witness more of it happening in your life by stepping up and saying, yes, I did this. And now and then, we also have to step up and say, yes, I did this to some of the BS going on in your life, right? Because sometimes you are at your most powerful when you draw to yourselves the things you don't want to see. And that's okay. Because when we recognize it, when we recognize that we create our entire worlds, whether it be the good stuff or the stuff that appears really nasty, it was us, it was me, it was you. We're the co-creators of that. 50% of whatever it was, was you. And 50% God. 
That's the idea of co-creation. And when we step up to that level of ownership, when we step up of saying, yes, I did a good job, you know, all hell broke loose, but I was very powerful in creating it, (laughs) right? Then what you know is next time around, you can say, all heaven broke loose, and I created that. Last thing that Marianne Williams says about organizing these changes in a way that they propel us ever forward in life is simply to use where you are to propel us to the future. Now, a few weeks ago, I used that example of that machine at OMSI to illustrate how, um, how just the, the force of weight works. And we used it in a negative way. We said, you know, sometimes it's hard to actually change our thinking because of the inertia that goes with thinking our old thoughts over year after year after year. And at OMSI, they have this wonderful machine. It has like, I don't know, like maybe a ton of weights on a little track. And you get five or six little kids, or maybe three of them and me, and you push really, and you push really hard on one side. And it's like, this isn't going to budge at all. I mean, literally, I don't know, it might even be a couple tons. And if you get five or six of you going, pressing long enough, it'll just start inching along the track. And eventually you'll get it going, you know, fairly good. And then the fun part, of course, is to run around to the other side. And oh my God, there is no way you can stop that thing. Because it takes the same amount of energy, right? It takes the same five or six kids, or three of them and me, to eventually start slowing it down. Now, this we used as a negative force in in being able to change old habits a couple weeks ago. I want to tell you, though, this can work for you. When you set firmly in your own mind how your evolution is going to be, when you have absolute ownership of who you are becoming, that also sets up an inertia that the world cannot somehow knock aside. When you stand firmly in your own truth, the people and places and things in your life that tend to annoy you, they cannot budge you from the truth of who you are. They cannot budge you from that sure knowledge that you are love, that you are joy, that you are peace, that you are abundant. The occasional overdue notice that comes in will not derail you from knowing that you are becoming wealthy. That, that um, now and then maybe a little tiff that you have with your significant other will not derail you from knowing that you are love and that you are becoming ever and ever more loving in your relationship. They will seem like little blips. I, I like to use the example of dating. Okay, so, so I'm in my middle years, and, and a few years ago I started dating again. And, and I'm glad to say, actually, that it's over, and, I'm with, and, I, and I'm, I'm with a partner. But dating in my 50s was so much different than dating when I was, like, 17. Think about it. When you're 17, and he doesn't call the next day, Right? It's like, oh my God, he hated me. I was wearing the wrong dress, you know? I, I shouldn't have taken her to that movie. What was I, th- you know, it was like a buddy movie. And oh my God, what was I? It's like she didn't call. I'm unlovable. I'm never going to get another date. Everybody hates me. <laughs> and, it, and if you haven't been around a 16 or 17 year old lately, trust me, it's still true now, just like it was when you were a 16 or 17. But, but, 
When you're 50, when you've had the experience of dating a few times, when you're standing in your own truth after many years of knowing that you are lovable, when you're standing in your own truth of knowing that relationships are about joy, when you're standing in your own truth of knowing that relationships are also about friendship and sharing good times, then when he doesn't call the next day, you don't even think about it. Because what you know is, yeah, I had fun last night. And maybe we'll, you know, have another good time sometime soon, right? It isn't about somehow me thinking I'm not good enough as a reaction to someone else. And that's that inertia. I have the inertia now of knowing that I'm absolutely lovable and dateable. That I would be a great cat. No, I mean, I, I know. But it's like, it's like, do this for yourselves though, right? Right? The idea is do this for yourselves because you will build up an inertia that no one then can derail. When you know that you are lovable, when you know that you can create harmony in your own family, when you know that you're abundant, when you know that peace is in your heart and you really know it, you cannot be derailed. Not by anyone, not by any situation. The things that come up that don't look quite like it will just seem like blips. They will just seem like a bird flying fry in the sky. And, and there it was, but now it's gone. And what I know is the truth of who I am. All right, well, we're going to close with a bit of homework and another quote. All right, homework for this week, should you choose to embark upon it, it's actually not too hard. We did, in fact, the beginning of the exercise already um, during the sermon today. And that is, what are you becoming? What I'd invite you to do, and if you could do it fairly soon with still the kind of memory of us walking through it as a group, go home and simply write down some I am becoming statements. You know, I'm becoming always more loving in my relationship. I'm becoming the face of, of love on the planet. I'm, I'm becoming peace that I want to see everywhere around me. I'm becoming uh, joy among all of the people I'm around. You know, write down some I am becoming statements. Then if you would, underneath each one, write a few simple statements of what that might look like in the real world, okay? So the I am becoming statement is for your interior world, right? I'm becoming more joyful every day. And then your statements under that might be like, and joy looks like the face of my granddaughter. And joy looks like um, going to the zoo with some friends. And joy looks like having a dinner party out with five of my closest friends. That's all the homework is. I think what you will find is that it begins creating this idea of transformation in your own lives, propelling you forward into actually becoming that thing. So that's my gift to you. Enjoy it this week. I'm going to close with uh, Marianne Williamson as she pretty much closes out this book. Here's what she says at the end. She says, when a positive change is occurring in our lives, it's a good idea to take the time to sit quietly and breathe it in, literally and figuratively. And then she goes on to say, this is the time for us to make a radical break from our weaker selves, devoting each day to the total elimination of whatever remains attached 
to our psyches to ruin our lives. This cannot be done without prayer. It cannot be done without work. It cannot be done without brutal self-honesty. It cannot be done without forgiving self and others. And most importantly, it cannot be done without love. But when it is done, we achieve spiritual mastery. We have come at last to live in the comfort of our own skin. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing which I call God. And what I know, it is the co-creator of each person's life. And as this is a general principle, I know it means me. I know that my life is evolving ever towards my goals, ever towards me becoming those things that I wish to see in the world. It is me becoming love. It is me becoming joy. It is me becoming peace and abundance. It is me becoming that which I wish to see more of. And as this is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that for each person here, the full co-creative process of the universe, that power and presence that is God, is behind each person here in their own sense of becoming. For this week and the following week, I know that it's easier for the people in this room to have a better understanding of who they are and who they choose to become. And that this sense of becoming, this sense of co-creative power propels them forward. Not just a little change here and there, but it orchestrates literally the change that is their lives. And that these changes, this accumulation of changes, this hierarchy and this just beautiful set of days become such a sweet life for each person in this room. And I'm grateful for this, grateful always in the power of prayer, grateful always in the full understanding of powerful, of of our reality, of powerful beings. And so I just let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much.